Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here, and today I have two special guests, Ryan Follin and Justin Boo. They're both growth experts who worked on crowdfunding campaigns, cryptocurrencies, and everything like that. And today we're going to be doing a, something a little bit different. Instead of going for an interview style like what we normally do, we're going to take two companies, whether they're real or not, that's out of the question. But let's say they came up to us and they only have one day for us to give them all the advice to have a successful campaign. We're going to describe exactly how we're going to brainstorm and make that happen. Number one, company number one, uh, they told us that they raised $400,000. They have $400,000 to go out and market that campaign. And what they're doing is they have an app. And this app lets you create wish lists for what you want. But also at the same time, if people buy things off your wish list, they get cash back rewards. That's company number one. And company number two, they have about $4,000 to go out there and market. They want to raise about fifty grand. And what they're doing is they're selling a travel bag, a travel bag that's supposed to be the ultimate travel bag that lets you do everything that you want for all your travel needs. Now, uh, me, Ryan, and Justin, we got to talk to these two theoretical companies a little bit. The first thing we discovered in Discovery was that company number one with $400,000 doesn't actually have $400,000. <laughs> <laughs> so, so knowing that, guys, like, let me ask you a question on this real quick. So sure. when, is it, when are you allowed to say that you have $400,000? Is it A, the bank? when you want to raise $400,000? Is it B, when a, a VC tells you that they want to invest $400,000? Or C, is it when somebody says that they're going to do it and you have paperwork? At what point can you say that you have $400,000? <laughs> D, when it's in the bank. I mean, you can tell me you have four hundred grand, but then, like, sure, if you have that on paper and someone signed the paper and they said they're going to give it to you, but they don't have $400,000 to run your campaign, how exactly am I going to do that? I hear silence. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't hear that pin drop? (laughs) Bing! (laughs) So let's so, so, so let's assume let's assume that you think you have four hundred thousand dollars, but you really maybe have like five thousand dollars if you call up your parents and your friends to to really leverage everybody that you know. So we're talking about crowdfunding from a bootstrapped perspective, correct? Yeah, we're bootstrapping it up here because we ain't got no five four hundred grand marketing budget. Uh, not to <laughs> so mention Justin, their goal for the fundraise yeah. is about one million dollars. Yeah, so Justin, I've got a question for you. You're, you're deep into this space. You've got a lot of history and knowledge in it. Can you talk about the, the typical success for an app when it comes to Kickstarter and Indiegogo? Um, I'm, I'm curious about that because I, from what I understand, it's different than, say, a product, right, or a movie or yeah. something like that. What are the, what's going on with trying to crowdfund for an app? 
It is very difficult, or at least there's not a lot of data that has shown success for an app. The, 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 the issue with crowdfunding for an app is that the incentives or these incentive-based crowdfunding goals are not fully aligned with the consumers who are donating. Uh, so what's important to do is to have some sort of, t- well, they, they obviously won't have the app in their hands because it's, it's being crowdfunded and built. So what can you provide in terms of like tangible uh, value in the meantime, <laughs> whether that be through uh, actual uh, physical products or some sort of like services or extra things that you can provide in that uh, offering uh, to really have people incentivized and not just donate to your app essentially because most apps are going to be either like free, free to use. Uh, and it's a little bit different than the typical like physical product where you're putting in money so that you get a physical product back. In this case, you're, the, the value is a little bit misaligned in that when you are creating an app, you're going you're to have that app for free and everybody else to use uh, off the backs of, of the, uh, the backers and crowdfunders, if that makes sense. Well, one yeah, thing so, is they already have this app developed, so that it is something that they could physically touch and use themselves. They already have, what, 20,000 users or something? So uh, okay, they have a little bit of a leg up compared to a regular company who's going out there and building a app from scratch. So they have 20,000 users. People yeah. like it. They said they have a retention rate of, like, I don't know, 20% of people who are, like, diehard users of it. So... Yep. Maybe they they have five, ten, twenty bucks that they want to go donate because they're like, yeah. I love this thing so much. I'm gonna own part of it. So, but, so I, yeah, in, in that case, they they do have. Uh, Ryan, you, you want to go ahead? Or no, I was just gonna say I I wanted to ask a question about the psych, some of the psychology behind crowdfunding. Is there really this element that there's this exclusivity or first, uh, you know, being in in the first realm of it? You know, things like the Pebble Watch. Like it wasn't just the watch; it was a product. It was that you're basically funding something that's new and revolutionary or the, the coolest cooler in the world. Like how important is the aspect of, um, you know, being one of the first people, the early adoption craze um, is, can we tap into that with the app or is it, is that kind of fizzled away? Like I'm curious about that psychological element of a crowdfunding campaign that, you know, you're getting a little piece of this like amazing product, but if the product's available on the app store, does it take the sexiness away? Yeah, I was going to say it, it does in, in that um, if you're not giving some sort of exclusive offer, and I think that's where like typical apps uh, don't because, um, well, in this case, they're further down the line with uh, them having users, um, but the next game at this point um, for a app that does have users is what kind of value can they provide to kind of upsell or really give them a their current users who are already using the app a real reason to put in more money. Uh, so, you know, what is the upsell advantage? Uh, is it some sort of exclusive new features or new uh, membership or some sort of new access to this newer version? Or if it's simply just for fundraising, for the sake of fundraising, then it's just not fully in line with, uh, I guess, consumers. Well, so one of the things... Jinx? Yeah. So real quick, too, um, I know that this hypothetical company was talking about potentially entertaining the idea of doing an equity crowdfunding versus a traditional crowdfunding. Uh, Do either one of you guys want to take a stab at how to explain to someone who has no idea about the difference uh, a crowdfunding campaign that's the traditional, you're basically 
you know, you don't have any equity, you might get perks or products versus this somewhat new crowdfunding for actual equity. Yeah, sure. So a regular crowdfunding campaign, normally what you do is you get a product-based company. What they do is for a donation, they either give you like a gift, like a sticker, a t-shirt, a product, or something like that. Then they give you extras if you decide to donate more. So when you put in that donation, you get something directly back. You get a reward for what you're getting or an actual product for what you're getting. And that's why crowdfunding campaigns in the past have been so successful. Now, on the other side of this equation is the equity crowdfunding campaign. What you're directly doing here is you're raising money for your company. But then when that person puts the money in, instead of them getting a prize, a product, a shirt or something like that, what they're getting is they're getting like a few shares within your company. So like pretend you're raising money for Apple and Apple is doing a crowdfunding campaign. By buying uh, into your crowdfunding campaign, you're theoretically getting like Apple stock. But it's not Apple and it's a much smaller company. And it's an app. <laughs> <laughs> that may or may not work. Okay, so would a, would a crowdfunding campaign make more sense for an app then? For people to, the upside is really that by investing, you're grabbing equity and you're playing on the long term that this company is going to either be acquired or grow to a massive scale? I, I mean, you can play that route, but then if it was me and it was my marketing budget, I'd go out there and I'd spend that money on acquiring users and getting app downloads. I don't know if crowdfunding is mm. even the right way to go about this campaign because, like, Let's say he wants to raise a million dollars. There's no way in the world that guy's going to raise a million dollars. Let's say we drop it to 150 grand. I mean, that's still going to be a stretch unless he gets his pre-existing investors who gave him that 400 grand to uh, put it through the crowdfunding platform as opposed to giving it to him cash. What about just strictly for him an exposure? Like, uh, would there be a strategy of running a an equity crowdfunding campaign that? Uh, part of the byproduct is just the exposure and awareness that would drive more downloads, even if you're not 100% successful with the, the raising? I mean, you can uh, definitely get exposure out of it, but um, yeah, it just needs to get traction. The, yeah, I don't know if it's worth the headache uh, of doing so with getting all of the you know legal and everything put together just to kind of formulate and, and spend that time and energy to do the equity crowdfunding because uh, it takes, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole effort of just trying to do another fundraising. Uh, whereas, you know, if you just spend full time on focusing on growth and user acquisition uh, of the app and, and, and making the product better, I think that'd be probably better use of time and resources. So what do you tell someone who has their heart set on a crowdfunding campaign, uh, an equity crowdfunding campaign, when maybe that's not the best option? Is there a middle ground or would... Doing a more traditional one bring more benefit. What? How would we maybe approach advising that? Like, do we have to do the crowdfunding campaign? Like, is that something we have to do? Well, I'm saying that's what the person has their heart set on, right? And I would believe that you could do whatever, right? But imagine yeah. if you think you're going to do a crowdfunding campaign, and you sit down with the three of us, and afterwards we pretty much say maybe that's not the best idea there might be value in us coming up with what the alternative solution would be. Because if you're going to dump five to 10 grand into a equity crowdfunding campaign that ends up being a public failure, um, there's negative consequences to that. 
but would the conversation then be how can we get somebody with five to ten grand to to jump their user base or build excitement around it or something? I don't know. I, I mean, let, let's look at it this way. If someone had ten grand, Justin, what do you think they could get in regards to like app downloads for like something that's like a Pinterest mixed with a a Pinterest with like a cash back platform where you put together your wishing list wish list for what you want in life. Uh, I mean, if they did just like a straight <laughs> paid acquisition, then obviously, uh, you know, they'll probably get anywhere from like three to five thousand users, depending on like what the uh, cost per install would be. Uh, mm-hmm. A little bit more other types of marketing, like through influencer marketing or big PR pushes, could help multiply that uh, in, a, in a greater extent. Uh, and really just gaining more features uh, is probably better for dollar for dollar on, on, on that front. Um, I, you know, I think that they can run a, a crowdfunding campaign and, and it, it will potentially hurt them in the negative press if they don't uh, succeed with it. But mm-hmm. it, I don't think it's going to be too detrimental uh, on the impact of the overall business. I mean, they can make an attempt and try uh, I, I just think it's just whether this comes down to a question of whether it's worth the resource and time uh, to kind of like be distracted on, on trying to launch a, a campaign like that uh, with you. So, so I have a question. If I was going to go out there and I was going to go run ads for user acquisition, I was going to go get um, influencers for user acquisition and all that. Why don't I just double whammy it and use a page that not only gets me user acquisition, but also has the opportunity to lend me an investment as well? From a crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, I mean, if I'm already going to do it, then I may as well do both, right? Yeah. uh, Well, if you're talking about equity crowdfunding, I guess the only the only issue, depending on what this app is, is you know it. The equity crowdfunding investor might not be the same person as the actual like day-to-day user. Uh, might yeah. have a totally different mm. customer profile and demo. That's a good and, point. Yeah. Um, and it's it's always it's always hard uh, on the equity crowdfunding side uh, because you're going for you know potentially accredited investors or more like you know or the the people that yeah. are you know the crowd I guess that are are, are not but. Uh, they may or may not be users of the product. And what I've seen in the past with equity crowdfunding is it is a little bit on the cost acquisition side is a little bit more expensive because you, with, when it comes to like trying to corral and, and market to investors, you have to both inform them about your space and product and then have them try to invest. So it's like a multi-step process <laughs> um, to try yeah. to convince them over to, to investing. And uh, the acquisition cost for that is pretty high. Uh, what what, if, what if we did the page something like this? Look, this is our product. This is how great it is. Download it now. Oh, by the way, if you want to invest, you can and become a become a, yeah. a crowdfunded investor into this. So you kind of layer out that landing page and tell the story in a different way where it's very product-centric, talking about how yeah. great it is, then switching it over to, oh, instead of going out there and uh, – if you want, you can invest too. And instead of marketing it to the crowdfunding equity people, you crowd you market it to the regular consumer who would probably be interested yeah. in the shopping list. Yeah, that, here's, that here's does make a, here's, sense. Let me, let me let me chirp in with a question. So, 
Uh, if, how about you save your question for a little bit? Why don't we hop over to a commercial break, come back, and um, rediscuss this? Does that sound good, Ryan? Yay! Cool. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Leonard Kim. You can find Justin at Hackerpreneur. And you can find Ryan at Ryan.Folland or something like that. And we'll see you no, soon after this Twitter's commercial break. Ryan Folland. Yay! <laughs> Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel hear the stories be motivated be inspired join us today voice america influencers this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here. And if you've listened in earlier, you've listened to me, Justin Wu, and Ryan Fullen really talk about two different companies going out during crowdfunding. Uh, We've been talking about the first one for a while. And that company is an app company that has like a shopping wish list thing that's kind of like Pinterest, but then they give you like cashback rewards and stuff, which I guess is pretty cool. But what we're really doing here is coming to the conclusion that probably not every single company out there should really go and crowdfund. But anyways, we're exercising the idea and we left off with the question that Brian wanted to ask and Brian didn't get the opportunity to ask it. So why don't you drop it on us right now? Here we go. Let me drop this question. So. You're talking, about, <laughs> you're, you're talking about this, uh, whether or not a crowdfunding campaign could be successful for an app. And what if this, this company hypothetically had two investors? And let's say the investors are going to invest, I don't know, $50,000 each in real cash, like actual money that you can deposit in your bank. And they're excited about you know, investing $50,000 each for um, equity of your company, totally outside of a campaign. Could, could you structure a, an equity crowdfunding campaign that has identical or very similar terms that you would normally give and then have people who are already going to give you money invest through a crowdfunding 
equity campaign. And the value hey, Ryan, would... I don't think yeah. me or Justin are lawyers, so I don't think we could really answer that question for you. Okay. So, can, are we allowed to talk uh, about I think it? your question I, got the, too far, because, I mean, can you? I don't know. You have to do terms and conditions. What's the terms and conditions? We're not lawyers. We can't figure that out. All right, so let me, so let me back up the question. Would there be value in an app having a crowdfunding cam- equity campaign and already having the, the investors lined up and then investing through it? So, like, I don't know. You yeah, sure. Goal, and then yeah. you get it. But if you're asking, can you do it? I don't know. I don't know what you can and can't do. That That's a business law question. That's a business law 101 question. I could call my um, business law teacher and ask her if she okay, wants well, to answer well, that. So, okay, now, <laughs> I'm not now, an attorney. I, I know sometimes best practices for crowdfunding campaigns is that you line up people who are who are going to invest or or purchase for perks well ahead of time, right? Because I figure what the metrics are, and it's probably changing, but you know, if you don't have uh, a certain percentage of funding within a certain 48-hour period, then your likelihood of succeeding falls off drastically. And on the other side, if you get more than 50% funded in the first 48 hours, then it catches traction because nobody wants to invest or buy stuff in a product that nobody else wants, right? So let's talk about that psychology for a minute. I mean, if you're going out there and you're getting investors right away or people who are hopping onto your crowdfunding campaign right away, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to have a push and you're going to have the company actually realize that the product's doing well, so they're going to go out there and push it. But now this crowdfunding equity platform, how many followers do they have? How, how strong of a network do they have? If they're pushing it out, does it even make a difference? If it's Kickstarter, then yes, they have millions of users. If it's Indiegogo, then probably. But if it's a small, little, tiny company that's doing this equity crowdfunding campaign, then, I mean, even if the algorithms pick up, it's like they're a small, little company and they have a small, little network. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it really depends on the platform. All right. So so let's let's transition to uh, the other hypothetical company, which is... Uh, not so, looking so what at we're doing is we're leaving this company to di- die, right? <laughs> <laughs> we kind of hit a wall, right? I mean, if you think about it, a traditional campaign won't work because the app doesn't have much perks with it. Uh, a crowdfunding equity campaign, there's legal, there's public failures involved if you don't do it right. And it's really not going to be a big user acquisition because your investors aren't necessarily going to be your users. But then you could also flip it. Because on the crowdfunding page, you can tell whatever story you want. You can turn that into a sales page. Then say, oh, by the way, you can invest too. Hmm. But what's, Then what you can drive I'm downloads doing. with your campaign. And if you get lucky, you get an investor or two. But is that going to be successful for the crowdfunding part? Probably not. But then you'll probably spend the same amount of money that you would spend acquiring the users your traditional way too. Right, but isn't crowdfunding basically you have to activate the crowd, right? And so, like, what is sexy, what is cool, what is amazing about this app? What kind of media can be built around it that people are like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. I want to not only contribute to it, but I want to share it. Like, that's the, that's the magic sauce they yeah. have to come up with, right? Why would you want to share a, a wish list? Unless it's like oh, make yeah. your wish list now and share your wish list with <laughs> others, which, yeah, yeah the, actually, that could work. Yeah, the other fact is that uh, the app is already launched, and so it already lost kind of that cool factor in terms of the, the PR and, and launch perspective of 
uh, people covering a Kickstarter because the product is ready live. Um, so mm. it's not, the, the timing uh, with the Kickstarter again is like more about uh, well, people love more the at the ideation stage, and this is like early on, and this is this product a little bit later, and and the you know press and other people can just sniff out that this is purely for funding, um, uh, a like a backup funding because it's right live, you know. So that's where the, the kind of back to the psychology of the consumers and buyers of Kickstarter and crowdfunding is that they're participating in something. Uh, newer or exclusive or that, ha- that is about to be built. So unless the app itself inherently has something, a new version or a some sort of upgrade or something new that is not uh, available right now, then then I just don't see that being as effective. Um, just because uh, the they, whole, wanted, they uh, wanted to release tokens so you could uh, uh, be part of the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> so if that's the case, they should be doing a different raise. <laughs> ICO, ICO raise. <laughs> okay, uh, let's not talk about that. That's the dark, dark land. Yeah, that's the whole. <laughs> but, but then, see, that's where that's where you see the situation where uh, the companies that can't do option one and two are doing three. <laughs> and then that solves all the issues, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I, like I was reading over these answers, I'm like, oh my god, what are these guys doing? They want, they want to do anything and everything. I, I don't know. Yeah. Should we move on to the next company or should we stick with this one? The companies robot? that we're talking about, the hypothetical companies. <laughs> should we, should we move over to the next hypothetical company or should we stick with this one? Well, I think that I think we should move to the next hypothetical <laughs> company. But for this hypothetical company, I think we need to, I think they need guidance. And so I think one thing that I like, Justin, you talking about made me think of the opportunity cost. So actually going through the effort and saying, you know, if you're going to invest $10,000, how far could you make that go outside of crowdfunding? And what would the user acquisition and your goals be like? And what would that look like within a traditional campaign and within an equity campaign? Because it's like, if we help these hypothetical people map out what their options are, then they can look at it and have an educated decision versus thinking that anything's going to work. I like that concept of like an exercise of the crowdfunding opportunity cost, right? Because crowdfunding is gnarly. It's 30 days of grind. It's like you're crying wolf over and over and over with everyone that you know to try to pressure them into sharing with their friends to tap into their network. Hey, that sounds like a startup founder. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's move. Let's move to the next hypothetical company, and maybe we'll just marinate what we talked about with the first hypothetical company, and all of a sudden we'll be like, "Oh my gosh, I figured something out." Okay. So the second company, what they did is they are a travel accessory company. They make like passport holders and all this other travel stuff. And now what they want to do is they want to launch this new top of the line product, which is a travel bag which is supposed to be the ultimate travel bag. And they got about $4,000 to market, and they want to raise about fifty grand. but their biggest problem is they don't have the product. So what should we do? <laughs> I mean, they don't right, even have well, a sample. Well, well, wait a, wait, but wait a minute. I mean, isn't crowdfunding, and hear me out here, isn't crowdfunding, you want to do this amazing product, but you don't have the money for it, but you have enough, like, grit to put together the technical plans and you know how much it's going to cost and you're going to produce it in China and all you need is $50,000 to do it. Isn't that kind of like 
the way that crowdfunding is. It's for people that don't have the product and they want to finance it, right? Yeah, so, but yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Justin. Was, but um, what ended up happening is a lot of people, the bad actors, took advantage of that early in Kickstarter. And uh, back then, when you when Kickstarter first started, you literally could just have an idea and and push it out. But uh, there's like a big statistics where like majority of the products are not being delivered and not being produced, and mm. it comes down to uh, it comes down to because like if if a company doesn't have the product in hand and they're not even able to create even a sample, then they don't really even understand the full like production and logist you know the whole logistics of the whole uh, chain of building the product, and that's where most product dies because because uh, something like the the best cooler. Uh, raise a lot of money or another helmet, um, Scully, uh, they were charging whatever price for their helmets, but when it came to the actual production, R&D and everything, uh, it overshot the cost of what they, uh, what they were trying to build. And yeah. one thing to remember is that a, a Kickstarter is kind of like an IOU. It's not really like a fund. It is a fundraising mechanism, but um, all that money that you're fundraising is a, a product you have to owe somebody. And, and all that money they give you is to for the cost of the product itself too. So like you're, you're literally burning all your cash for to try to build it. And so that's where like Kickstarter now has really gravitated, uh, at least Kickstarter did, to focusing on you have to at least have a prototype uh, or they won't even necessarily approve of you anymore because you just don't have anything in, in your hand uh, to build a, hmm. a sample. So, so real um, quick, interesting on this topic real quick. So there's two, from what I understand, there's two types of traditional funding. There's the flexible, where if you have a $50,000 goal and you raise 20000 congratulations, you get 20000 But the other, like, I think what originally, kind of like a Groupon model is, I forget what, it's like an all or nothing. I don't Wait, know the name, Groupon? but... What's Groupon? No, I was just kidding. Oh, okay. I saw this in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want you to there. actually explain what Groupon is, but it was like, what's Groupon? Does that even exist anymore? Like, it was kind of rhetorical. It does. <laughs> they spent $5 million bucks for a, a, an ad on the Super Bowl, so they're good to go. But, Justin, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. The pros and cons of a hypothetical company, B, who has some sort of a product but no sample, the flexible funding so they get every dollar that's raised, or a bit riskier the all-or-nothing option, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, in this case, they could go to Indiegogo, and Indiegogo is the one that would uh, house that, because Kickstarter doesn't have... Uh, Kickstarter is all-or-nothing. Uh, okay. So they can go with the, the flexible uh, flexible ways uh, for that. Uh, the the other route is this, is that maybe they're too early to do a crowdfunding right now, but they still could get a landing page up and potentially take pre-orders on their concept and renders, and use that initial dollars to to get that um, to get that those sales in, and then that will give them the capital to actually build the 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 sample, and then then they're a little bit further down the line um, with some with some capital. Then they do the crowdfunding campaign. Um, so that's like another uh, route too. It's just I, I think I think what was happening is well, this is a little too early, right? Like it's that's that's all it is. It's just like a timing thing, and and if they don't have that. Um, if they really don't have the, the actual sample or physical product to demo, then it's really hard on, on the crowdfunding side to get anybody to believe that this product is real, you know? So <laughs> that's just my thoughts on that. Uh, is to, so, 
Try to do e-commerce do you think, sales. Do you think what they have to do is first get their sample, then once they have their sample, then they could buy the crowdfunding campaign? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, let's say theoretically, me, Ryan, you, we found them a sampler, and they got the sample done. And let's say, let's say it's tomorrow, and they got their brand new sample, and they're like, oh, yeah, we finally got our sample, and they at least have one sample, just at least one. Now, now what yep. can we do? Then that's, then at that point, then that's when you want to really highlight and build the brand up for that that product, uh, especially with uh, obviously getting more samples is better, so you can utilize some sort of things like influencer marketing and whatnot. But if you don't have that and it's just one sample, uh, then it's, it's about really selling the idea, the product, the team, uh, and just really building that trust with the audience that this can be built. Uh, and this is going to be in, in your hands, and really just showing all the different use cases of this uh, this item. So basically, it's a comprehensive feature, function, benefit outline that um, the product's going through, and it just has to wow whoever is looking at it. Yeah, yeah, with a, it'd, be, it'd be with a nice like uh, produced video, I'd say. Cool. Now, how important is the video? Let's say, how, how important is the video on a scale of one to ten for crowdfunding? Oh, uh, it's very important. However, what I will say is, with the limited resources, I wouldn't <laughs> to unload all the money on the video because, uh, <laughs> like, they can create the most amazing triple A video, but uh, nobody knows about it, then it's gonna fall flat, right? <laughs> Um, however, you know, if they really do sell the concept across uh, with a nice video, uh, it is possible for them to try to get some sort of uh, uh, featured or uh, a sort of some sort of press uh, from you know big Facebook pages or you know gadget or business and tech insider um, to kind of like cover it, and that can help them. So I, I would be more so like spend maybe like fifty to don't. No, no, spend more than 50% of the resources into the video. Make it just clean, professional. It doesn't have to be uh, just like shaky cam <laughs> on your phone or anything, but uh, just a clean, nice HD video. Talk about the product and the use cases and, and then uh, and then push some, some dollars behind uh, on the promotion side. So just to give you a little more detail about the company, they believe that every single bag is going to sell for around $250. They believe that um, they're able to sell $50,000 worth of bags, and they believe that they could do this with a $1,000 ad spend, which means they are under the impression that uh, they could get people basically to their site for like 10 cents a click. Does that sound reasonable to you? Uh, <laughs> to me, it seems a little, a little bit low. Uh, what, and this is where I was saying again, I think it's, it's, it's a numbers, uh, it's a... It's a money issue that, they, that this company has. Is they only want to spend one thousand dollars to try to get a two hundred fifty dollars product, and they're not going to get the money immediately back. Well, this is where they only at. have four thousand dollars, period, and they're assuming yeah, three is probably going to go to the video. Got it. So, yeah. so my thoughts was this: is is to create like before the Kickstarter, it'd be an initial landing page or or e-commerce website that is taking pre-orders, saying that it's going to come later in the year, which is closer to like the actual Kickstarter. Uh, launch or uh, production date, right? So it's not even using Kickstarter yet. It's, it's, it's a place to just collect money and pre-orders. And then what happens is like every dollar they spend, uh, they don't have to wait for that Kickstarter 30, 60 day turnaround time. They're already getting a dollar for dollar back, right? And then that's uh -huh. then 
fueling then their their bigger promotional push. Because like so basically, you use the money that you earn and spend it back in marketing to to then do the bigger to, to do the bigger push. Yeah, because essentially that's what Kickstarter is going to be utilized for, anyways. Too, except that they're not cycling their they have to wait for that full cycle of money to to to, to kind of like come through. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes so they're, sense. They're already taking so, orders ready as is on Kickstarter or on the website. So you'd rather do it directly on your website first uh, and, and prove out like whether they can actually get those acquisition costs down, uh, pre-order acquisition costs to that low number. And then if they can, then, then they're, they're getting more, uh, more capital to then really launch uh, a bigger campaign. That makes sense. Well, it's yeah. about time for our next commercial break. We'll be hopping back soon. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Letter Kim, Justin at Hackerpreneur, and uh, Ryan at Ryan Fullen. Yay! Awesome. <laughs> Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day, every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Would you like to make more money, help more people, and have more fun? Tune in to Noah St. John's Money Mindset and Marketing Mastery Show because you'll discover the money, mindset, and marketing skills that will help you create the abundant lifestyle you desire. As an international keynote speaker, best-selling author, and thought leader, Noah helps business owners increase their income, influence, and impact. So tune in to Noah St. John's Money Mindset and Marketing Mastery Show live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern noon pacific on the voice america influencers channel change starts here change starts now join us the voice america influencers channel this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim back here with Justin Wu and Ryan Fulham. We've discussed two companies who are trying to go out there and raise, do a successful crowdfunding campaign. And if you've listened to any of the show so far you realize that both of these companies are kind of SOL and there's really no way to really get this to work. But hey, guess what? 
We're supposed to be masterminds here. Justin, you're one of the best crowdfunders out there. Ryan, you're brilliant. You work with startups. Me, I, I, I don't know what I do, but I hang out with you guys. We have to go and really think about how are we going to provide solutions and how are we going to make these campaigns work? Like, let's say our lives depended on it. No matter what we had to do, we had to figure out how to make these campaigns work. What do we do? Do I we lower we, how much they we, have to raise? Do we make it more sexy? Like, what should we do to make these campaigns work? I think we work backwards. Okay. I think we we first find out what their goals are, and then we have to find out what uh, an actual well, amount is that's realistic goals. for them. One to company wants to raise fifty grand. The other one wants to raise a million. Okay, so so if that's the goal, then how much should the campaign be? Understanding that if they don't hit it, they won't get it. I mean. For the bag company, at least, I am under the impression that they would need around 50 to actually go and order their, uh, put in the order with their overseas supplier to get the product here. Got it. So I believe that 50 is a pretty hard number with them. The other company, I think they just want a million dollars so that they could say they raised a million dollars. I don't think they actually need it. I think they'll be happy with like 100. 50, 25, 10, 5. <laughs> I, I mean, it's an app, right? I mean, if you're crowdfunding so, for an app. Know, are, I mean, like, so from an equity crowdfunding campaign, are there minimum thresholds? Are there maximum thresholds? What Do you know a little bit of backdrop on some guidance there? Like, is what's the minimum amount for an equity crowdfunding campaign? Do we know? Uh, I mean, I think it has different for platform um right. i mean it could be just as well as a couple hundred dollars I, I believe um but that's just like very very small um and then the maximum i, I forgot the full maximum per person but you know it's uh yeah I, would, I wouldn't know that okay that's okay cool. i don't think working backwards is really working for us because i think that's making <laughs> us look at far-fetched goals maybe we should look right, at reality how much do we right, think what? this app could raise so uh, I mean, one one other statistic too is that I mean, it, and the thing that I always look at with a lot of crowdfunding campaigns is that uh, you know they they need to if they're trying to raise a million dollars, you know, they, their marketing budget doesn't equate them to closing or you know, raising raising that amount. So what they need to do for both of these is they need to find some sort of virality factor that to every dollar they put in will try to uh, attempt them to multiply. Um, the results. Uh, so something like the the the, uh, the actual physical product. What they should do is before they even launch the campaign for both of these. And it's like the the one of the most important stages that most crowdfunding campaigns miss out is the pre-launch stage, and that's one of the most important where they actually have to build up that email list or subscriber list or follower base uh, beforehand. And you can do that for very low cost with just creating content sharing it with your friends and family network uh, about the videos or, or content uh, that you're building um, to storytell uh, about it. And then also maybe even doing like a, a viral giveaway contest where you're giving away one of these uh, travel uh, accessories uh, for free uh, if they refer other people uh, using some sort of like viral giveaway tool. So then now you're like multiplying every dollar in to build up that list to try to get more people uh, instead of trying to spend money directly on ads during on launch day, um, then that's going to fall flat because 
you're do you think two weeks is going to be enough time to do a pre pre launch? Uh, two weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, two weeks is fine. Two weeks is fine. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Yep. So just another uh, reason why you want to do a pre-launch is the algorithms with the platforms. If you're raising like 25 to 50% within your first 24 hours of going up, they're going to probably pick it up and push it to their platforms as well so you get a bigger audience. Um, so exactly. if you're pre-selling everything, um, that helps you raise up that number higher instead of starting from zero on day one. That's why that two weeks of lead time is good. So maybe what we could do is we could outline a strategy for both companies for a two-week pre-launch, what they need to do for the two weeks before their actual 30 days of campaign. And then another thing is, let's let's just say both companies have five grand in marketing. Um, five grand in the marketing budget, I mean, realistically, they'll probably raise about 20 to 25 grand based off that kind of advertising budget, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe what we do is we take both companies and we drop their fundraising campaign from a million dollars and 50 grand and we drop it all the way down to like 20 because 20 is probably actually doable, right? Yeah, yeah. I, and, I think and if it's doable on both budget. ends, then guess what? We could just give them, give them success. They'll have a successful campaign. But then it also gives them the opportunity to go over and let's say, let's say, um, the bag company goes out there and raises 20 by day 15. That means within 15 more days, they could probably go out there and get the other 30 because they've already hit the goal, it's already successful, and it's going to carry over. Because a lot of successful campaigns, that goal number that they have, usually what they raise is a lot more than that goal number, right? Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. maybe that's how we approach it for the second part. We lower their goals to something that's absolutely realistic and doable. That way, they could still take advantage of the media, the press, and everything else, and have a successful campaign, too, where people are writing about it and talking about it. Now we have these two companies. What's the sexiest thing about the app company? Is it the, shop, is it the uh, wish list? So I always uh, go back to, I, I always go back to, I, I don't care what you do, I care about the problem that you solve. So I would rephrase that question, what is the, the, the coolest thing that this app does to solve the biggest problem that I have, right? Like, because well, we, the only the only wish lists I've ever seen in my life are for baby registries, right, or wedding registries. What you have to do yeah. is you have to either sign up through Amazon and you get an Amazon thing, and you can only shop through Amazon for your stuff, or you go just to like uh, like a Babies or Us or something, and then they put all their products there, or like uh, you know whatever. However, that works. And that's usually networked to one specific website where you put all your stuff. You know what I mean? So maybe the problem that this company solves is you can make a wish list of whatever you want from any site you want. So you're not limited to one specific brand that you're kind of like stuck under. Leonard, how much do you hate trying to find out what you have to buy people for their for presents? It's pretty easy. You go on the wish list and you look at what they haven't bought yet. No, I'm saying, with, I'm saying without the wish list. How, how, how angry and frustrated do you get when you have to figure out what to buy for somebody? I buy everyone cupcakes. That's the easiest solution. Justin, how big is the pain point for you in your real world um, to try to figure out what to buy for people? Uh, it's... <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've not really, it's not that, that big for me on my, my, my side. 
Yeah. See, I usually just draw stick figures for people and make make stuff. Um, yeah. But so. Yeah, but that's because you know how to make things. I don't know how to make anything. <laughs> I know how to buy cupcakes, and I know that they get same day delivery. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean that that's where I think it's a good point where it would be identifying who the real like heavy users of that such you know uh, of those lists or wish lists or coming up with uh, again like unique lists. Uh, curated and created by the company itself. Uh, but but then useful. also we have three men on this phone, and for a wish list, I mean that sounds like a woman-centric product. Yeah, it's topical, like you know, depending on the topic and stuff too. So it could be women, it could be top, you know, demographic specific, um, and it's just really you know, it'd be really focusing on on, on that demo, uh, and then also like whether it be for cooking or uh, you know, there's a different list that can be made. Yeah. Maybe what they could do is they could push out a few different landing pages targeting specific um, uh, target audience personas, like one for like the cooking people, one for like the uh, moms, one for like the uh, newlyweds, things like that. Yep. So you could go multiple ways. Um, should we flip to the other company? What what makes them the most sexy thing? Like wh what's so great about a travel bag? Uh, I, I mean, I think it'll be coming down to like the branding and the, the style. It could be style for fashion, or it could be like uh, features. So if they have some really cool features that stand out to others, uh, then those are like the two factors I'd say that would really make it win. It's just like one is it stylish or fashionable, uh, and then two does it have a lot of utility? Or if it's a, you know a utility or fashion for both. I don't understand how a bag could have more utility than any other bag out there. I mean. <laughs> like that doesn't register to me. I'm, I'm like, should someone have already done this? <laughs> yeah. Well, there are, there's, a lot, there's a lot of bags that that raise millions of dollars on crowdfunding campaigns. Like it's crazy. Because they have a secret component that um, has an area that the TSA can't find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, it just comes down to what uh, the both the fashion and, and use case so, so, so for traveling, which is why it's so important no. to have an actual. Because it's one thing to have a a cool bag on paper; <laughs> it's another like it's another option to actually have the bag and see how it works, right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. One one problem I see is if it is if it is design centric and use use centric. What you really need for that is influencers rocking your product, and they're probably going to have to spend a lot more money on their samples because if they just make one, how are they going to get like some fashion blogger yeah. or some travel blogger to really go out there and promote it? Because I think that's where they're going to get their buyers. I don't know if they'll get their buyers from media. I don't know if they'll get their buyers from social media ads. I, I think their main sense of buyers for that specific product is going to be the influencers. What do you guys think? Yeah, how many bags... How many samples do you think they should have for, like, what what would be a good number? Well, I mean, we probably have to look at all the people who are actually design who are actually going to be the influencers, and see how engaged they are and how much they actually like the person they're following. Because, like, let's say you were to get like Ariana Huffington to promote like a book on startups, like that would result in maybe like three or four sales, right? But if you get Tony Robbins to promote one, then that would result in like hundreds of thousands of sales because it's more aligned and closer to the brand. 
But then if you also get someone who has a weak social media following but a, hard, a large number, like they're not that loyal, then that's a lot different than, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it really depends on getting the right influencers. What, you mean you just can't get somebody with a bunch of followers and have them make a post and everybody will buy and everything's good? Oh, yeah. If that could happen, then everyone would pay me to post their stuff. <laughs> I mean, people pay me, but it's not like I get it every day. That would be nice. Hmm. Well, I think what you're And I'm pretty sure there's certain things I've said online that people have, like, no agreement with. And, like, this is way out of your swim lane. Why are you even talking about this? This is stupid. <laughs> and they just ignore it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. one thing that I think is great just about crowdfunding in general is I really think it's kind of the future of funding, if you think about it, right? I mean, if you can mobilize a target audience to all invest in your idea so that you can produce it and give it to them, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a cool concept. So I'm excited for hypothetical companies like these two or other ones to dig deep and get creative, make samples, and actually raise money uh, to continue to solve problems that they like. I don't. I think it's a lot more difficult than people think, though. Yeah, I think what we did is we probably found a pretty solid solution for company one. I think we had to do a little bit more digging on company two. We could take that offline to really figure that out. But I think crowdfunding is probably a great way to wrap everything up. I mean, we're really to coming to the end of the show here. Do you have any closing words you want to say, Justin? One thing I'll just say about the crowdfunding campaign, whether you're running one or um, for your company or uh, or thinking about a future, uh, is to really think, uh, or I guess even if you have a company and, and you're not thinking about a crowdfunding campaign, you should still think like a crowdfunding uh, with Kickstarter because w what happens in, in these type of campaigns is almost a do-or-die situation, which uh, was talked about, where you have to do a compact amount of marketing, press, PR, in 30 days, 30, 60 days. Um, and that's like not uh, most companies, startups even outside of crowdfunding, don't put that type of effort in their marketing and growth uh, in those campaigns. And whereas I see a lot of the Kickstarter founders uh, are really, they're putting on every hat <laughs> to make the and hustle their, their business and deals to make, generate those, those million dollars, you know, or six, seven figure uh, sales in Kickstarter. So, um, you know, my, my, my closing thoughts is to, to kind of uh, look at the Kickstarter mentality on how these guys are, these founders and, and teams are hustling their way to really find all these different angles to get press, to get emails, to get lists, to giveaways, influencers, ads, etc., um, to drive to a single purpose uh, for the, their company and sale and vision. And uh, I think that, you know, uh, that goes the same for any type of company being built out there, whether they do crowdfunding or not. Cool. Sounds good. Well, that's well, a wrap. You well can find said, yeah. me at Mr. Leonard Kim. You can find Ryan at Brian Fullen. And you can find Justin at Hackerpreneur. And thank you so much for tuning in to Grow Your Influence Street today. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Street with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.